Hello and welcome to episode 13 of the podcast series, Mum, You've Got This. If this is your first time listening, there is an intro episode that you can go back and listen to, which explains exactly what the series is about. The person featuring on the episode today is Katrina. Katrina, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast series. Thank you so much for having me. It's very exciting. It's so exciting. And we've exchanged a lot of messages. So I feel like this has been a I mean, it's only been a couple of months, but I feel like it's been a long time. Coming, so I'm excited to have you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it has. <laughs> I feel like I already know you. Yeah, I know. We'll have to meet one day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's start with the, uh, you and your family dynamic um, and what that kind of looks like now, what you do for work, your partner, that kind of thing. So I'm married. I live in Hobart, Tasmania, and we have two beautiful children. One is five and oh, well, just, to turn, just about to turn five next Thursday. And the other one is eight and they're both at school um, down here in Hobart. And I work part-time, but I also run my own charity as well down here. Uh, my husband works full-time and he's also a volunteer firefighter as well. You guys are insanely busy. Yes, very, <laughs> very, very. Cool. But it's good though. I mean, it's very exciting. Yeah, good on you guys. It's a lot of amazing things that you're doing and we'll elaborate on that a lot more. But um, if you can talk about first kind of your career path and your journey, your general life and what you kind of did um, pre-children, kind of starting from when you finished your schooling. Yeah, so I finished school at the end of grade 10 because I didn't want to do 11 and 12. So um, I ended up going to do a business college course just for admin because that's what my mum did. So that's, of course, which way I wanted to go down. Mm. Um, and dropped, jumped between jobs, you know, being 16 and working in the workforce. Um, you don't realise how difficult it can be jumping from school to uh, full-time work. Um, and my family liked to travel. So we also did a lot of traveling around the world, more to America and things like that. Um, but as I got older and wanted to explore the world a little bit more, I also traveled overseas to England, but I also volunteered at the Olympics, which then gave me a bit more of a bug because I met more people from around the world. Mm. And so moved over to England for a little while uh, f until September 11, basically. Mm. And it was that point that I said, no, I can't be overseas anymore. I need to move back home. I need to be with my family. Mm. And so I moved back home and then decided, well, I'm still not happy here at home. <laughs> and um, I love my parents and we have a very, very close relationship, our whole family, uh, but just wasn't happy living in New South Wales because that's where I'm originally from okay. and just wanted to travel Australia. So um, travelled down to Hobart, fell in love with it, fell in love with my husband and <laughs> have been living here now for 15 years. So I also volunteered at the Commonwealth Games as well. Um, I moved over to Melbourne for a little bit um, to be a part of the Commonwealth Games. So those two, both the Olympics and the Commonwealth Games, both I think set me up for um, being a lot more confident okay. and wanting to do something in life, basically. 
That's awesome. You've done a lot. That's um, that's a lot of, you know, really cool, interesting things that you've done. I love that you didn't do 11 in 12 because neither did I. And I feel like I never meet anybody in my age demographic that didn't like my parents yeah. didn't, but it, that's, it's, you know, I think it's almost compulsory. I think now, isn't it to do 11 and 12. So um, I'd love hearing from people that have really made a good success out of their lives that didn't go to college as we call it in Tassie yeah well college I'm still learning all that (laughs) (laughs) sounds so American but it's yeah oh I know but I mean it has it wasn't an easy trip because I didn't go to 11 and 12 I suppose and you probably would find the same thing is that you kind of have you back when you were younger you kind of had to prove that you didn't need to be doing 11 and 12 that you could make it through life without doing as we call it in New South Wales, the HSC. So um, it, it was it was a very interesting time um, and it, it'll be a lot different when my daughter gets to that stage. And yeah. I, find, I find that a big learning curve as well, trying to understand that. Mm. Yeah, definitely. So talk about, um, do you want to talk about your charity actually now or when, when did you sort of start? that um so i had always raised money for different charities no matter whether i was living in newcastle or down here in tasmania um i could probably lead more into it once we talk about getting back to work unless you want to talk about that now because that was the whole reason how it all kind of came back into play after having lily Mm-hmm. I started my own business and that turned one and I wanted to do something to celebrate. And so celebrated by holding an afternoon tea and then that then became a eight-year occurrence and ended up um, forming our own charity from that. So uh, we had always raised money for different charities in Australia Mm-hmm. Uh, and it got to the point where we raised money for one particular charity and we thought, no, we can't keep continuing on with this. We need to really do something for us rather than keeping on doing it um, to raise money for other charities. And so we really wanted to find something that um, we're, we're all women, so we wanted to find something to attach ourselves to. Mm-hmm. and we thought of breast cancer and then we researched and there were a, around 150 different breast cancer charities at that stage in Australia just um, raising money and awareness for breast cancer. So we didn't really want to continue on to that path because we all wait, we felt that there was already too many. So we researched a little bit further and we came up with ovarian cancer and somehow I can't even remember the story how we came across it, but we came across it and read the statistics of 47% and that hasn't changed since 1970. And the funding that they get for research is phenomenally less than what breast cancer gets. And then we started researching even more and finding out that um, the survival rates and the research just was going absolutely nowhere because there was no aware, no awareness around it. And the majority of the patients were getting diagnosed at, you know, kind of your stage three, stage four, which, you know, for most people can be quite dire and quite deadly. 
And we want to change that. And that's what we're working towards down here in Tassie in particular. It's raising the awareness so that people can understand about the cancer and know that you're not overreacting. And it's not just because you're a female that you have those signs and symptoms because they are very blurred and very grey um, for most doctors uh, because they're not taught in that area. So that's then where we started three years ago. We're now moving into our fourth year. What's the charity called? It's called She Gynecological Cancer Group. Mm-hmm. And have you got some, and, we'll share some links about it on your podcast. Um, yeah. For people listening, like is it's obviously a very high female demographic that listens to this podcast. So do you have some, um, like some medical information? Obviously it's not advice, but just some information around um, ways for earlier detection or picking up. It's, it's all, and what we're trying to educate is that it is all around understanding and knowing your body. You know exactly yourself when something doesn't feel quite right. Sometimes you might feel a lot more constipated when you're coming up to getting your period. And other times you might even um, get a little bit more diarrhea, what they classify as diarrhea around that stage. That's okay, but it's when it gets to continually happening over a three-week period. So it might be that you might feel bloated or you are extremely exhausted or you feel full after only eating a tiny little plate of food or you are getting very, very irritable or you're running to the toilet a lot more than what you thought you would um, or what you have in the past. But it's, it's not just those once-offs. Um, it's when it continually happens over those three weeks that we would then recommend that you go and speak to your GP. And we hear so many stories where it, on average it can take 3.2 visits to a doctor. And that may not be three visits over three weeks. That may be three visits over six months or 12 months or longer. Um, but if you listen to your body and you understand and you have pains or you know there's something isn't quite right, it's not just you in the head there is something that isn't quite right. And it may not be something like ovarian cancer. It may be something very similar to your diet. However, you need to get that investigated and get that looked into. Um, and, it, all, and it is that, that we Like news to me, everything that you just said then, I would have had no idea what to look out for, you know. But the, the biggest thing for us that we, the biggest myth is that a pap smear doesn't detect ovarian cancer. With all gynecological cancers apart from cervical cancer, there is no early detection test. It comes down to you and knowing your body. Right. And it's, it's quite scary. I mean, we mm-hmm. hear so many stories and we have so many beautiful patients here in Tasmania that, um, it's not something that we talk about a lot because it's, it's below the belt, as we call it. It's, yeah. it's down there. It's yeah. not a pretty cancer and it's not. But the way that they do surgery and, and they call it debunking, that hasn't changed since 1970. Mm. See, it almost so, like the version of, say, prostate cancer for men, but I feel like that's just got so much public awareness and charity groups around that now that that's just such a it's in your face like it's in you know i think a lot of men are now are going and getting those sort of things checked um but yeah you're right ovarian cancer is the one that just feels like it's really sort of spoken about 
Mm. And we find too that endometrial cancer is also starting to increase. Mm, okay. So, um, you know, there, there's a lot, it's not just cervical cancer and ovarian cancer. There's also, you know, five other cancers that are a part of that as well. So you have your um, endometrial cancer as well, which, you know, can come down to diet or it can come down to other ways, but there hasn't been enough research into it for there to be enough information to be shared. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is, and then, so since us finding out about ovarian cancer four years ago, um, each each day I wake up and I'm learning something new about it. Mm. Well, that, yeah, thank you for sharing all of that. And we'll definitely share the links to your organisation um, on your podcast. I'm, I'm really keen yeah. um, to get, get involved with it as well. But um Moving back to kind of your situation, what tell us about like your experience in um, your first pregnancy and um, and then birth and and your first kind of early days at home with a newborn and that transition to becoming a mum. Oh, oh man, um, I don't know where to start. So um, <laughs> I suffered terribly from endometriosis from the minute I got my period. So. Um, I would always be sick, and especially as I got to high school, um, I was really bad with bleeding that I sometimes I couldn't even go to school. I had to stay home because I was in so much pain and I felt so sick. So as I got through life, um, finding out when we, Michael and I got married and we decided that the time was right to have children, we tried for five years. And this is something that we have never shared with anybody and we, we tried for five years and five years, week in, week out, month in, month out, we kept wondering what was wrong. Mm. Um, and we finally got to get some tests done with our, who is now retired, but our amazing or my amazing gynecologist, um, that we actually found out that we were given a 10% chance of having children. And the only way that we could have children was to go through IVF. Um, for me to have children as a woman or as my own self, that's all I wanted to be was to be a mum. Mm. So to find out that we only had a 10% chance of having children um, was quite gut-wrenching. That was really, really hard for the two of us, I think. Mm. Um, and I actually sat down and spoke to my husband, um, over the weekend just to make sure that he was okay because we haven't really spoken about it since. Um, and as he said, um, you know, quite frankly, that, um, if we couldn't have had children through IVF, he actually said, well, I, I don't know whether we would still be together. Mm-hmm. Um, but having said that we had such and we still do and and it's probably stronger now we've always had such an amazing connection ever since the day we met from the day I met him in the pub which is so Australian <laughs> um, I knew that he, he that was the man that I was going to marry and mm-hmm. no matter what we would have always had children whether they were our own or or what Mm. but um you know after five years of trying naturally and then having to go through IVF and doing the drugs and 
going through the egg collection. The first time I had egg collection, I had over hyperstimulated ovaries, which meant that I had created more eggs than what my body could handle. So I got quite sick. Mm. Um, and we only went through a couple of cycles before we actually fell with Lily. So, you know, I had an abundance of eggs that we could use. So it made it a lot easier for us. But that first time, that we had the transfer done to find out, you know, a few weeks later that it didn't take was, it was really, it was really gut wrenching and um, kind of put me, I, I don't know if you could call it a depressed state, but to kind of put me into a state where I think, Oh my gosh, what have I done to not be able to have my own children? What do I need to do? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, went into that whole self pity side of things and, um, you know, thanks. And then unfortunately, when we tried for the second time and my family don't even know this is that we had a transfer and my grandfather had just passed away from cancer. And we had to uh, very quickly fly back to Newcastle, which is where I was from to farewell my grandfather, who um, I was very close with. And his brother is actually it, our whole family was very, very close. And so to lose him so quickly um, and then to find out on the day of his funeral that the baby didn't take, that that one didn't take again, um, made losing him even harder. Mm -hmm. And it was third time lucky for us that we fell pregnant with Lily, um, who is my daughter. And it was the most beautiful pregnancy it was textbook from date of conception until um she came out at birth Mm. um and it was it was textbook birth it was uh, one of the most beautiful pregnancies and births i could have ever had as in in particularly for my first um but once she came out that's when everything um kind of crumbled so I, we didn't realise until after the fact that um, I had actually put so much pressure on myself that I had actually put myself through postnatal depression. Um, I didn't have any of my family here. They're all from Newcastle and New South Wales. So um, I, thankfully my mum had flown down. But to not have them, um, you know, over that, especially in, in particularly those first six weeks that are so crucial in getting routines and having support and, you know, all that sort of stuff. I didn't have that around and um, it, it was very hard. And I look back at it now and I just go, geez, that's why I'm so hard and so strong now because I went through that. Uh, and there were times where over the first 12 months with Lily that I lived on two hours sleep, maybe three. Uh, because I could never get her settled and she suffered from silent colic and it it was just, and I had also put so much pressure on myself. So, of course, when you're showing stress, it's proving that to the baby as well. Mm -hmm. So um, it was very hard. It was uh, one of the hardest things. And through that time as well, my husband's business had just bought another business. So he was working really long hours and we had this bit of a discussion on the weekend and I'm like, yeah, I remember you coming home at three o'clock in the morning and going to bed and then getting up, having breakfast and going back into work by 6.30. 
And so I was doing a lot of it by myself because um, he wanted to set the family up. So, you know, we both had our determination to make sure that we had the family set, but we hadn't also communicated that either with each other because we never saw each other. <laughs> so um, having said that, you know, there's no, absolutely nothing wrong with her. She's one of the most beautiful, outspoken, kind-hearted, adorable beautiful little girls that you could possibly ever want as your daughter and um yeah it it certainly I think because of what we went through my bond with her is very different to Eddie who is my second in what way uh well because he was uh more along the lines of we still had to go through IVF for him um, but I think because when we fell pregnant with him, it didn't take as long and it wasn't as difficult uh, when we went through IVF for him. But when we got to finding out what sex, my husband wanted to find out what sex we were having at that time because I'm very much a girly girl mm. and people that know me know that. And, and in all my first pregnancy with Lily, everyone in my family said it's a girl only you could have a girl because everybody else in the family's had boys apart from me um so you're the only one that can have a girl we found out that eddie was going to be a boy and i actually i i lost it i was very upset um i didn't i i don't know what my reaction was oh, i've got absolutely no idea what to do with a boy what do i do with a boy how am i going to look after a boy i'm not a boy person um I actually went and got help with that. But thankfully, again, you know, my gynecologist obstetrician who had, um, was, she, uh, I couldn't have asked for better support. Um, she actually picked up on it and um, sent me for help. Okay. And it was the best thing I ever did. Um, and I was a lot calmer after I had him. And he's such a rat bag that he frustrates the living Harry out of me, but I admire him because he is such a larrikin and will just make me genuinely laugh. So our relationship is very different where, um, you know, with Lily, I'm very close to her because she's my girl and we went through so much to get her mm. um, that with Eddie, we didn't have to go through as much, but um I don't know. He, he, Lily and I are very similar to a lot of ways. Mm. Uh, but having said that, the same things that tick me off will tick Eddie off. So if he does something that annoys me, he'll just keep pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. God love him. <laughs> um, because he wants that attention from me. So I absolutely adore him and he's growing up so quickly. And I just wish I could have held him for a little bit longer so that I could keep that little boy rather than letting him grow up at this stage. I don't know. It's different. It's different yeah. with a boy. It's, um, it's funny how you can have, like I've got two girls and they're, I, I initially thought they were going to be really similar and now they're turning out really different. It's funny how you can have two children from exactly the same genetics just be so different and then I look at my siblings and I think well we're all you know so different but then there's so many similarities that kind of tie it together too um, yeah exactly and I, and I suppose too um, 
uh, like from my side of things with having the two difference, I find having a girl when I would go out and do meetings because my children have always had to be dragged along to all my meetings mm. that I have, whether it was for the business that I was setting up or whether it was for the charity, the kids have always had to come with me. Mm. Because really I could take some colouring in or some reading and she'd sit there and she'd do that where um, Eddie, I can't do that. Mm. He, he, he just can't sit. He's got to take his trucks and he's got to make noise and, um, you know, that it, it's just people always told me having a boy will be totally different to having a girl. Yeah. But now I really understand <laughs> having a boy as opposed to having a girl. <laughs> um, but again, like, you know, I love and I adore the both of them. And I love my one on one times with him at the moment while his big sister's at school full time. So he's not yeah. quite there yet. So it's, um, yeah, but it, it was very difficult. Um, so you not got knowing help. until. Yeah, you got you said yeah. you got professional help um, when you had that, that, I guess they call it like gender shock or whatever you want to call it. Um, I called it pre, prenatal depression, not postnatal depression. Yeah, okay. That's what I called it. That was just yeah. my own terminology because that just helped me get through it. But I was very lucky to have that support. What about when, um, with Lily, when you, did you get professional support then as well? No, because we didn't realise until after the fact. So mm. it wasn't until Lily had kind of grown up a little bit to about, you know, 18 months, two years that we kind of sat down with some friends and we said, look, and, you know, we were talking about, somehow we, we got into a conversation about it and they said, look, we didn't really want to bring it up because we didn't know how to. Mm. So it was very difficult from their point too and talking to my parents, it was very similar um, they just didn't know how to, like, you know, get to that topic because both of us were so fragile because we were both going through totally different things with the business and, you know, being new parents. We just thought that was just part of it. Mm. We weren't aware that we didn't even think of postnatal depression. We just thought for me it was just more sleep deprivation. Mm. Um, because I was always, you know, up with her all the time. So um, it was it was very hard. But and I know at the end you, you um, will probably want to know some advice or anything like that. One of the big tips that I could ever offer to any new mum would be the fact that if somebody knocks on your door and says they want to help, you take that. Mm. <laughs> Don't try and be a martyr. That is my big learning. Don't try and be a martyr and do it all yourself. Sometimes it's okay to say, yes, please, I'd love your help. Yeah, and I guess on the other side to that, anyone listening who knows someone that potentially might be struggling, I think we all set, tend to send out messages to people to say, hey, if you ever need anything, let me know. I'm always here, that kind of thing. But sometimes if you're in that position of needing a bit of help, you don't want to actually say, yeah, can you come and do this or whatever? So I think actually just knocking on a door or, um, you know, just turning up and just saying, yeah. I'm going to do this. Like go and have a shower or go and lie down. I'm going to look after the baby for an hour while you go and have a shower or have a nap or do something. Like just put yourself yeah. out there and just say, look, I'm here. This is what I'm going to do. Or if you want me to do something yeah. else, no, but I'm here and I'm not going to say no, you know, take no for an answer. It's um absolutely. And and I had a couple of ladies that were like that and I actually pushed them away when they mm. came around. So um, it, it was, yeah, now looking back, I go, oh, my gosh, you are such a silly goose. Mm. Uh, but, again, 
you're not to know. So, Mm. yeah. um, Yeah. Yeah. So now that is always something that any new mum that I talk to make sure that if somebody offers to help or they come around and they say, go to bed, go to bed. (laughs) Take some time. Like you said, go and have a shower. Yeah. Um, But, you know, I, as I said, you know, I was setting up a new business as well when I, when Lily would have been six months old. So uh, that was just, sorry. What's, what was that business that you were setting up then? So that business was um, a lolly buffet business. Um, My sister got married for the second time and she had one there and I thought, oh, nobody does that in Tasmania. So Mm -hmm. um, I might have a look into it. Um, and it was all the rage at that stage too. So, you know, we're looking for eight years ago, nine yeah. years ago. So um, it was quite the rage and um, I thought I could do it. Again, you know, you jump in, you give it a crack and um, hope it works. And sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. And, um, you know, I made a lot of good, again, going through those phases, you make the contacts and you make the friends and, then creates other things for other things that you're not aware of that are going to come up later on down the track. Um, and if it wasn't for me having that lolly buffet business, um, there's no, I don't think that I would have then held that high tea um, for it to be so successful. So, mm. you know, it, it all has its own little path that you never know what, where that path's going to lead really. Yeah. Everything happens for a reason, right? Like, yeah, definitely, definitely. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, and look, my, you know, my great uncle was, he, he is still one of my um, biggest inspirational people in terms of fundraising and he always, and he and I were very, very close um, and he would always fundraise for something up in Newcastle and he would always wear these beautiful coloured bow tie. And he would always wear colourful socks. And I always remember saying to him, why on earth nobody wears bow ties? So I would have been 17 or 18 at this stage. And he said, I wear bow ties and I wear colourful socks because as soon as I walk into a business, they know exactly who I am and exactly what I'm going in for. Mm-hmm. So he said, they either turn around and run away <laughs> or they go, hi, how are you going? And what do you need this time? And who are you fundraising for? And so he always said to be different, always stand out from the crowd, Mm. never follow what everybody does. And um, that resonated with me and has always stuck with me. And he, I still, every time I'm getting to a point where I'm going, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? How am I going to do this different? I close my eyes and his face just pops into my head and, Mm. and I just hear, hear those words. Don't follow suit. Don't follow the crowd stand yeah. out, do something different. So in every event that I've ever um, coordinated as part of our fundraising, it's always got something different. Mm. It's never the same as what you would do if you were going to another fundraising event. That's awesome. I love that. Um, did you, what did you do with, um, with, with the kids when you did sort of start to build, um, you know, on work more, like before them going to school and things like that? Did you do daycare? And Yeah, so Lily, Lily got quite full on by the age of two. Mm. Um, God love her. And so we sent her off to childcare for one day a week and that was, that was purely for me to have 
a day to myself where I could either do the house cleaning or um, go and prepare meetings or do whatever needed to be done. So she went to childcare for one day a week and then um, we built her up to two days and I then picked up a couple of days work at just some little businesses here in Hobart and just did data entry or admin um, for those businesses just to help them kick along. It wasn't anything strenuous, but it was just enough for us to get some more money back through the door and for me to get out and actually have adult conversation Mm. um, and not conversations about children. So uh, for the years until I fell pregnant with Eddie, I was working just two casual days and that's all it was, was just casual. Um, And then um, it was really funny because by the time we had Eddie, I only stayed home. I think it was only three months and then he was then starting childcare. So I had to go back to work pretty much straight away. I couldn't have as much time at home because um, we needed to get me back to work. So um, I went back to work again for one or two days a week, depending on where I was working. And he was at childcare. It was the best thing I ever did for him. Um, he, I, I, I would get mummy guilt, but I was at one place that I was working at. I was directly across the road from the childcare where I had both of them in at that time. So, um, and he stayed there up until January this year when he started kinder. Um, so, yeah, we, you know, they both needed that time at childcare for their own sanity as well, I think, to have that interaction with the kids. Um, I would have mummy guilt every now and then when I drop them off, but then when I see the messages coming through from childcare and the photos and the stories and picking them up and they're always so happy, um, I, I always then knew that it was the right thing for them to do mm. and it was the best thing we did for them. They're both very outgoing type of personalities. Yeah. I don't know where they get that from at all. <laughs> um, but they are, um, yeah, they, they very much needed that time as well. What do you see as, I guess, the biggest sort of challenges now with what's going on with... <laughs> <laughs> to be the least yeah 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 I don't want to be a, a Sarah and uh, be on for a very long time so um, <laughs> I love you Sarah I love you Sarah I love you Sarah um, but... <laughs> talking about Sarah uh, who's also my sister-in-law was in episode seven, <laughs> and she spoke for two hours and 45 minutes um, which she did, and I listened to every single one of those two oh. hours and forty-five minutes. You know what? Like about <laughs> four hundred odd people have. So, she's, wow. Uh, yeah, she she's got an interesting story to tell, and you know, it's it's your episode. It takes as long as it needs to. So I wasn't. <laughs> why, why was I, up? I was like, no, you're on a roll. I wasn't going to stop that. But, <laughs> Um, oh, so what, what were we talking about? Not Sarah. <laughs> your, your challenges, the challenges. Oh, the challenges. Oh, we've got so much. So um, I work three days a week at a local real estate agency as well. So um, I've got Eddie and Kinder for three days. I've got my daughter, Lily. She's at school full time. And um, yeah, my husband's just uh, received the third officer at the station that he's at as well. So um, the hardest thing we find, and, and I say we because it, it is a family, um, we, we are a team. And if I didn't have this team, there's no way 
what I do because I volunteer all my time for this, for the charity. Um, and I don't get paid and none of us on the board get paid. And I spend a lot of hours doing work, um, for sheep because of the fact that I think of these women and their families and they need, um, a voice. Mm. So I do it because I want to make a difference. And so the challenging time for us at the moment is finding time mm. uh, because we have so much going on with she with regards to we're now starting to go from just wanting to make a little bit of a, a noise and, and raise some awareness to actually, you know, potentially um, helping bring a program into the state and also raising more awareness um, around gynecological cancer. We're also, because we got a bit tired of high teas and everybody else was doing high teas, so now we've created a little organising committee and now we're organising a girls' day out because, you know, organising a high tea is nothing like organising an expo is what we're, what we're currently finding. So I'm currently leading that team as well as the foundation but we're now also working towards the Women's Wellness Cancer Centre to open its doors here in Hobart. Wow. So it's, um, and and the thing that drives me to do this is um, not only trying to make a difference for these families that don't seem to have a voice, but not just the ones now, the ones previous to this, the ones that have actually passed on. There are so many families that I speak to that... Um, say to me, oh, I lost my auntie or I lost my mum or I've met, so I met a lady through my work the other day that actually lost her mum to ovarian cancer and it was the fact that this month is Ovarian Cancer Awareness Month and I was wearing the ribbon and she said, that's for ovarian cancer. I lost my mum to ovarian cancer three years ago. So it's those types of women that I do this for. Um, But not only that, it's showing my children. And I want to show my children that it's not all about you. Mm. It's about trying to find something that can help make a difference. And it may be that you help save animals through wires or it might be that you become a guide dog um, assistance trainer or you know that it, it's not just about being selfish and wanting the next iPad or mm. wanting to know that you can go down the street and buy a new pair of shoes when you need it it's you need to work for it but not only just work for it you know that at the end of that there will be rewards and it may not be a reward for you but it might put a smile on somebody else's face mm. and to me that is the most important thing that I know I, when I speak to somebody about doing our awareness with all forms of gynae cancers, that it puts a smile on somebody else's face. And they actually, I have had so many people say, thank you. Mm. And to hear that thank you then puts a smile on my face because I know that I have helped that family mm. with their part in their life where they've challenged. And there are, there are times where you know, we see people lying on the streets and where we, as in both my husband and I, are very open and honest with our children in the fact that if they ask a question, we answer it. We may not answer it to an adult level, but we certainly answer it. They're very switched on little kids and they're very aware of what's happening around the world. Um, 
there are some things that we need to tread very carefully with because um, you know they may really struggle with processing because God loves them. They are they they're very much like me where they wear their hearts on their sleeve. So if you've upset them or something's really bothering them, they can't hide it. They've tried, but they can't. Mm. And um, we're now just starting to learn about all this now going through with our eight-year-old daughter and um, just how kind-hearted she is. And we notice with Eddie that he's now starting to show those signs as well. And he's, he's very caring. If somebody upsets somebody and it might be a friend or his sister or it might be me or it might be, um, you know, Michael, then he then gets upset because he doesn't like to see other people upset. Mm. And so by doing what we do, so Michael makes, he helps share information about the fire service and he takes the fire brigade, the fire engine to the schools and to the child cares down here um, around our area because he wants to he wants the kids not to be afraid that they are aware that you know they're there to help they're not there to be scary mm. and so that the kids in that area then understand that if somebody walks in with a breathing apparatus they're not a big bad man they're people or a big bad woman they are a person that is there to help you and that they can show you the way out, if you know what I mean. So um, I think it's really important that our kids understand the way of the world and that's just the way that we do it. And, and I've listened to other mums on the podcasts and they do it very similar but in, in their own way and, it, and it's just finding what suits you. But if I didn't have that support and if our family didn't work as a team like we do, then there's no way that I would be able to do what I do. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And you've obviously, obviously teaching your kids about, you know, empathy and all that kind of stuff. And I know that you, when we've spoken before, Lily got involved with some fundraising. Yeah. Yeah. So she um, organized her own event. Mm. Um, She cut her hair for an amazing business that is located in Victoria who takes real hair and colored hair. Mm. and turns it into headbands for alopecia patients and also cancer patients Mm. so that they're not wearing full wigs. And that's what Lily wanted to do. That was her idea. I did not lead her in any way. Mm. Um, I just helped her where the money needed, like where the hair needed to go. And she said, but mum, I want the money to come to you. I I want you to be able to do what you need to do with the charity with that money. So... I'm obviously, hopefully, being a positive influence to show that it's not just about holding. She knows how to save money, don't get me wrong, Mm. Um, but she also understands that there are times where there's people that need more help than what we do. Yeah, that's a great lesson in life to teach and it makes you realise like the fact that you didn't kind of directly lead her on that path, but she's obviously like monkey see, monkey do, right? So... They just, they just well, everything like. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, you know, coming back to that whole difference between boys and girls, um, Eddie couldn't give two hoots. Um, but that doesn't mean that he doesn't care, but he does things in other ways mm. and he's always one to look out for his mates. And um, I don't know if you, oh, I'm sure you find with your girls where these two will love and adore each other all the time, but then next minute, 
you know, you hear them say, I love you. Oh, I love you too. You're the best sister. You're the best brother. And the next minute you hear, but that's mine. (laughs) Mine are only one and three, but yes, I get that already. Oh my golly. It drives me nuts. And then, you know, you then have to pull them up. Is that the way we speak to people? So Mm. it's, I suppose it's just about pulling them up when you hear it and yeah you know if somebody spoke to you like that is that hey oh no I don't I don't like when people talk to me like that mummy okay good right now let's go back and play nice what do you do Katrina you've obviously got a lot of stuff going on and clearly like you know everything with the charity is um is you know it's incredible and it's very um good for your you know soul nourishing and all that kind of stuff i guess but is there stuff that you you're doing just for yourself as well yes yes so i am um i i go to the gym and i go to the gym monday morning tuesday morning and thursday morning and they're my times yeah um and i've just started going on sunday afternoon as well but Uh, I also do boxing. So if I'm not at the gym, I'm doing boxing. And that is my time to, I go and I put on your podcasts and I'll listen to them at the gym. Um, And that, that's just the way that I work. I I need to go to the gym. I've started going for a walk along the beach every now and then as well. Um, Mm. And that normally is happening on the weekend just because it's less stressful trying to get kids out the door for school and stuff. But um, I find I, and this is only something that I've only just recently learnt. And I mean, recently, as in 2019, recently, that it needs to be time for me. And it may be that I say to the kids and Michael that, right, I'm shutting the door and I'm going to go in and lie in and listen to a podcast. Please don't annoy me. Mm. Or it might be that, right, I'm Michael comes back from the gym or from boxing wherever he goes of a morning on the weekend I'm going for a walk along the beach um I've only just learned to not have the mummy guilt that it's okay to go out with your girlfriends Mm. (laughs) um I I could never do that before um because in the back of my mind I'm like no I'm the mum I need to stay home I need to make sure that you know Michael can relax and that Michael doesn't feel stressed or um, that I can take care of the kids and it kind of got to a point last year where I pretty much I lost my nana and because I don't I don't see my family very often and, uh, and I know I've mentioned and mentioned it a few times but we are a very very close family we're very close knit and if I tell my mum something I've no doubt that she's told my auntie and things like that uh, or my sister but they do it because they love who we are and they love what we do. And um, if they lived here, it would be a lot different. My life would be a lot different. Or if we lived in Newcastle, our lives would be a lot different um, because of the fact that they would just be here. And I could go and do something a little bit extra for me, but it is something that I have learnt and learnt very hardly a very hard over the last 12, 18 months that it is very important. It doesn't matter what it is. It might be, I taught myself how to loom knit. So it was sitting on the couch and giving myself, and I felt like I had to give myself that okay to sit on the couch and shut my laptop down and turn my phone off and put on some trash TV 
and Lumni. <laughs> what is that? But I, um, it's it's um, it's kind of like knitting or crocheting. It's like a mix between both, but you use a big round circle. So you know, oh, I've made beanies yeah. and scarves and yeah, yeah. But I felt like I had to give myself the okay to actually sit down and do that. Yeah. Um, and it's quite, yeah, it's not until, I don't know, I was speaking to somebody at work, I think, and they're like, but why do you need to give yourself the okay? You need to sit down and de-stress. And I'm like, actually, I don't know. I don't know why I felt like I had to give myself the okay. Mm. Um, so now it's, it's very much routine that I get up and I, I get up at five o'clock um, unless I'm doing a class, but I'll get up at five o'clock and go to the gym and do my sets that I need to do and then come home and I'm fresh and I'm ready to go for the rest of the day. Um, but that's my time. Mm. That's when I'll listen to podcasts or I'll just chat to people in the gym or, you know, something along those lines, but it, it has to, I have to do what is right for me. Good on you. That's great. Yeah. Do you have any other, um, you know, sort of key pieces of advice or experiences or anything else you kind of really want to um, say in your episode or anything, you know, that you've kind of experienced um, over your journey that's really helped and you think other women could benefit from or men could benefit from um, hearing? Well, I think from a, from a man's perspective and... Uh, I hope Michael doesn't get angry at me for saying this, but I don't care. I'll just apologise after. Um, (laughs) The fact that um, men need to understand that it is okay that if they're worried about their wife to actually sit down and have that conversation with them or their partner to sit down and have that conversation with them. Mm -hmm. And I have heard a few women over the podcasts talk about the same thing where um, sometimes the men get a little bit embarrassed or... Um, they might feel like they just don't know enough that they can't really say something. But if Michael and I had have known back when, uh, after I had Lily about P and D, then it would have made it a lot easier as Mm -hmm. well. Um, but it, it, for me, it's all about a, making sure you take a person up on the offer if they want to catch up with you or if they want to come around and not feel guilty if they actually come in and start doing some house cleaning. Mm. That for me back then was very soul destroying. But when I look back on it now, if I had have let it happen, it would have taken a lot of stress off me Um, because then it was done and I didn't have that hanging over and over in my head saying, Oh, I've got to go and do this or I've got to go and do this. Um, but it is okay to have those down days as well. And I think that's a really big thing that I've had to learn is that some days are better than others. Mm. And some days I do feel quite down and it's not for anything in particular. It's just that I'm exhausted or I may have been, fighting with the kids for a little bit to try and get them to get moving or get things packing or packed away. And that can drain you mentally and emotionally, I think is something that I've learned and that it is okay that if you just want to sit, the housework can wait. Yeah. It's okay. The world's not going to fall down and the world's not going to end if you haven't done 
a vacuum or if you haven't put the dishes away from the night before, that is okay. Mm. And I think that for me has been the biggest thing and communication um, that it, you, you need to talk about it. You're not weird. You're not somebody that's needy. You're not someone that is falling apart and isn't coping. It's just that you might need to just download for a little bit and to have those people there that can help you with that, I think um, is quite important. And that's something that I'm teaching Lily at the moment is that sometimes mum and dad aren't the people that she needs to talk to. She may need to talk to somebody else. Yeah. And it's the same for us grown-ups as well. You know, it's, we need to have those people that we can just ring. We're not ringing for advice. We're just ringing to download. Mm. And, um, you know, there are people that just want to keep offering advice all the time or they then try and turn it around on themselves. That's not the right person to talk to when you need to download. Mm. And, and I think for me, that's been a massive learning curve. Um, to A, not be a person like that and B, that it is okay to talk to somebody about stuff if you need to. Uh, yeah, you're not crumbling. Yeah. It's amazing once you do actually open up and have those conversations, what you actually kind of hear back. You know, I feel like everyone goes through challenges. It might not be exactly the same, but everyone's got something that's a struggle. I'm more than happy to yeah. want to share your story. They want to share it back, you know, so helps you feel more connected to people around you. Yeah, absolutely spot on, I think. And, you know, I suppose by, by doing what I do with she and speaking to patients, it's exactly the same thing. Like I've spoken to, to a few husbands and where they've just needed to download. They can't download to their wife while they're going through treatment because yeah. they don't want to burden them with those feelings. And so it's not about me trying to offer advice back to them. It's just that they just need to talk to somebody that gets it. Yeah. And just, you know, hand on shoulder, it will be okay. Or you know where we are. Or this person can help you if you're struggling with this sort of stuff. Mm. And, and it's the same in life, you know, it's, it, it, it is hard and life isn't easy, but I think the other thing that I've learned over my whole working career is that things as you, and I know you've mentioned it a few times, things happen for a reason mm. and it's not about knowing what that reason is straight away. Mm. It may not happen. That reason may not show up for another three years. Yeah, so true. And and it's about letting go and understanding that, you know, okay, well, that was a learning curve. What did I learn from that? Mm. How's that going to work? Well, I don't know, but let's just figure it out along the way. Um, and that's something that um, has certainly helped make me who I am today, I think. Yeah, I like the stuff, you know, you, you talk about um, what you went through with Lily and, you know, I feel for you that sounds really you know, really challenging and definitely looking back, you know, you've obviously recognised that potentially that you could have been helped a lot sooner and tried to, um, you know, get help for what you were going through. Um, and I know, yeah, obviously it would have been extremely challenging during the time, but you also kind of go, well, okay, well, if that didn't happen, maybe, yeah, you wouldn't be the person that you are right now and your daughter wouldn't be the person she is, your husband, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, um, And it actually took a lot of courage for me to even think about bringing that up yeah. um, because it isn't anything that 
um, apart from Michael and maybe my mum and dad who were quite close to me, um, nobody else really knew about that. Mm. And so if I can help one mum that is listening that feels that way, if I can help them, then that's huge. Yeah, good on you. And, yeah, so it it's not... Um, I like it, it. I didn't talk about it for someone to go. Oh, look! I'm so sorry, you poor thing. It's no. It's to help somebody, yeah. and if it can help, and it may not be, you know, somebody may not listen to this as as soon as it comes out. They may not listen to it for another few years, but if somebody can listen to it and recognise that that is themselves, then go and get help. Go and speak to somebody. It doesn't mean that you're weak. It doesn't mean that you're a bad mum. It doesn't mean that you're a bad person. It just means that you just might need somebody to hold your hand and work, work through some strategies with you. Mm. And if I can teach that to anybody, then that's yeah. just... And hearing where you are now would be comforting to anyone going through that because to know, I know when you go through dark times, it's hard to see a light at the end of the tunnel. But, you know, look at what's happening now. You're flourishing. Your family's flourishing. Um, and, you know, during the time of going through all of that, you probably would never have thought you'd get to this point where you are right now. Oh, gosh, no. I wouldn't have even thought this, you know, 18 months ago. There is no way 18 months ago I thought we would be in this place. Oh, really? um, and and that there are still, like, you know, there's still challenging days and there's still challenging times and there, there always will be. But I, I mean, I'm a massive Disney fan, and anyone that knows me will just roll their eyes and go, "Yeah, no." Um, but I believe it's not about Disney itself; it's about Walt Disney as a person. And I, know I, I believe in everything that the Disney Company and Walt Disney have created over the years. And it's all about if you fall down, you get back up again, mm. and you may like Walt Disney. Uh, when he was trying to start out with Disneyland, you know, he had, oh, I think it was something like 14 or 15 banks or money sources shut doors in their face because they couldn't see the story of Disney of Disneyland and how he, how he was going mm. um, to create it. Yeah. And, and I talk those stories through with our kids um, so that they understand that there are, you know, everybody goes through those things. And, it, and it's their, that's their journey, but it doesn't mean that that's going to be your journey. Mm. And that, again, is something that I've had to learn over the last, uh, in particular, the last 12 to 18 months, especially foundation-wise. Um, but I think, and you'll probably find this when your kids get a little bit older, but um, I find with Lily in particular that they, uh, well, and Eddie, but they're big sponges. And so if I react a particular way to something, so it might be that he, Eddie might have accidentally hit me or Eddie might have run in to give me a big cuddle and may have hurt me. If I react hugely and, and out of the norm to that, then that's how he'll pick up and he'll go, that's okay, I can react like that too. Where you don't, I don't, I didn't realise how much they take on mm. what you say, the way you look, the way you talk about yourself. Um, and you may be talking to your friends about yourself, but there is, uh, I think, like rabbits. 
yeah. where they hear everything. Yeah. And um, that is something that I've had to learn. And I know Michael has too, you know, we've just got to be really careful about how we speak about ourselves and how we speak about others around them too. Yeah. They make you be better people or try to be better people. <laughs> you- yeah, I think so. Yeah. I really do. And, uh, you know, they're the best things that's ever happened to me mm. and Michael and us and they've created our family the way that it is and there's no way I'd have it any other way. Mm. Um, they are very unique and very beautiful children, the two of them, in their own ways and they've, they've both got their talents that will you know, come out over the years as they're learning and everything like that. And it, it is hard as a parent to try not to compare, um, you know, at this age, well, Lily was doing that at that age. So why isn't Eddie? Um, and re- trying to remind yourself that they are two totally different human beings. <laughs> mm. So, and, you know, as yourself, you need to think about that as well. You know, you ca- I can't compare myself to somebody else that's running a different charity to me mm. because their charity is totally different and is targeting something totally different. So how can we be on the same level if that makes sense? Yeah. Um, we need to, you know, we are who we are and, and we are doing what we are doing. We can't compare ourselves to anybody else because they're not doing the same as us. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much thank you. for coming on. Thank you for, for sharing your story and being vulnerable and opening up about something that you've never really opened up about before, especially so publicly. Um, mm. <laughs> <laughs> way to rip yeah. the off. Um, (laughs) but yeah, like you say, I just like, I know we spoke before and one of the reasons I wanted to do this was just to open up more conversation and, um, and more connection. And, you know, I think it just can help make people's worlds a better place by just feeling more open and more connected. So thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for the opportunity. It's absolutely amazing to be able to share that with, and as I said, you know, there is somebody listening and they do feel that way or they have seen their friend feel that way, get help. Mm. Absolutely. Well, thank you um, for the listening. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. This was episode number 13. I can't believe it's been 13 already. Oh, I know. It's um, crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, to the listeners, please, um, yeah, like, comment, share, leave reviews on um, Apple Podcasts if you've got an iPhone. Um, yeah, the more messages are shared, the better. So I would appreciate any help in getting the messages out there. Thank you so much. And we'll talk to you in the next episode.